scripture is uh, from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. Thank you, Cindy. Let's take a moment in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this space, for this place that you've positioned us as a community, as a church. Uh, what a privilege it is to be uh, here together as a, a, your body to worship you. To start off this, this new week with all the myriad of things we got on our minds and in our hearts to say, Lord, this week, like the last and the one and for, uh, the ones ahead of us still, is, is of you, it's for you. And so, Father, we, we first and foremost say thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And, and Father, I pray that today would also be a day where those who are followers of yours would, would be touched especially by your word. That you would minister to each of our hearts where we are. I pray for those here who don't consider them, themselves followers of yours, maybe checking out Christianity, what it's all about. I pray that you'd have a word for them today. That you would have a word for each of us. Uh, help me to get out of the way. Help us each to get out of the way and decrease that you might increase. We ask for your spirit and all this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you today. Uh, we are starting a new series that we are calling Thriving in Work. Thriving in work, because the whole idea here is uh, we don't want to just survive in work. We want to be able to thrive in it. And, you know, I feel like we're 
living in unprecedented times. I know that's kind of a cliche of a term to throw about these days, but it really does frame what we're talking about here. Uh, there's all sorts of terms being thrown out. We're living in the great uh, uh, resignation right now, the great reset, the great reshuffle. Uh, silent quitting has become a thing. Uh, uh, we're living in these interesting times. I feel like the pandemic is really just kind of having us with experience more of this listlessness. And it's just so widespread. And, you know, one of the main reasons that people are experiencing this right now, I mean, there's, there's many, uh, is that because there is this large feeling of, of lack of job satisfaction. Uh, maybe that's you, maybe that's not, but that's kind of widespread right now. A lot of people are kind of asking questions like, what really do I want to do with my life? And is what I'm doing right now it? I think one of the most important questions any of us ask in life uh, really is, uh, how do I find and fulfill my purpose? Uh, maybe that's a question you've articulated in your mind throughout the years, and you've, you've really kind of considered it. Maybe it's a question that's been more in the background, kind of more subconsciously. How do I find and fulfill my calling? It's such an important question. I think it's a question that so many of us are asking all the more these days. So today we're going to start this series off looking at God's purpose for us. Uh, it's meant to be kind of a high-level, kind of overview-type sermon as we kind of get into it further, this Thriving Work series. But Jesus had a lot to say about purpose, how we can find and fulfill our purpose. And I, and I believe perhaps in no greater way than the text in front of us, this wonderful parable or story with spiritual lesson, uh, Jesus really breaks it down for us, how we can find and fulfill our own callings. So we're, we're picking up today in Matthew chapter 25. And here at the end of Matthew's gospel account, it's essentially Jesus' end game, okay? He's in the end game. Now, granted, he's getting ready to start a very new glorious new game uh, after his death and resurrection. But this is just to say in Matthew chapter 25, he's in this precious last few days hanging out with his disciples, hanging out with his main students, trying to impart with them to them wisdom. And in Matthew 25, he's, he's in the middle of one of his most famous sermons that actually doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, at least compared to some of his other famous sermons. In Matthew 25, he's in the middle of his sermon called the Olivet Discourse. That's what Bible scholars call it, the Olivet Discourse. It's named for the location in which he was giving it. He was out on a mountain ridge by, called the Mount of Olives, this beautiful, lush mountain range that overlooked Jerusalem. It's just a beautiful place, a beautiful setting. And in this sermon, his main thrust, the main point of his message is, time is short. He wasn't just talking about himself, by the way, then and there. He wasn't just talking about his disciples, who he was literally looking at. He was talking about all his disciples from that point going forward. Time is short, and therefore, we've got to live with a sense of urgency. It seems to me that's really what the Olivet Discourse really kind of boils down to. Time is short. We've got to live with a sense of urgency. And so in the midst of kind of this sermon, with this thought, he shares this parable. A parable of a man going away on a journey. And before he does, he entrusts to three of his servants a set number, a set amount of, of money. And the whole point of this parable, of course, is that in the same way that in this parable, the servants are to carry on their master's work, well, we today, as followers of Jesus, ought to carry on his work. So in light of life being short and understanding the stakes are high, how can we find and fulfill our purpose? Or maybe 
we could revisit that and understand is, is this where I am? Is this what God wants me to do? How can we find or refine our purpose and live it out? Well, Jesus shows us at least three ways, it seems to me, from this text. The first one I want to consider with you is that Jesus encourages us to take inventory, okay? Look at verse 15 once again. So this man is going on a journey, Jesus says, but before he does, he gives to one of his servants five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another uh, one bag, each according to his ability. Now, the Greek word here behind bag of gold is actually the Greek word talenta, uh, which is where we derive our English word for talent. Uh, for whatever reason, our uh, translators, the one that I typically preach from, chose to use the interpretation bag of gold. That's fine. But a talent is essentially a large measurement, a weight for, uh, 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 for money. We don't know if Jesus is referring to gold, silver, or copper here. Our translators, at least the one that's on the screen, decided that maybe it was gold. That's probably a good guess. Um, but regardless of how you slice it, all biblical scholars are quick to say it was an extremely large amount of money. One talent. Uh, almost almost uh, certainly, the consensus is, uh, one talent was equal to uh, 20 years of a single day's wage. So one talent, 20 years of a day's wages. And these servants got one, two, and five. So meaning, Jesus is making the point clearly to his listeners at the time who would have understood these terms, that even if you were the servant with the one talent, you were rolling in it. And the, the application point starts there. Like, you and I are rolling in it. Now, you might be thinking, hey, David, have you looked at my bank account? I'm not so much rolling in it. Well, okay. But of course, the application isn't just concerning material resources. It's talking... When you start to think about what a talent means, as we kind of make the jump of Jesus' teaching, what he means for us as we kind of like think about this for our lives, a talent, it seems to me, is everything and everything of, of, of who we are and what we have that can be leveraged or stewarded to love God and love others. Or think of it this way. It's all of who we are and what we have that can be leveraged, that can be stewarded to bring heaven down to others or bring others up to heaven, so to speak. So bringing heaven down to others, that's, that's meeting practical, tangible needs where God has placed us, and work is filled with that. It's bringing, bringing heaven down, and it's, it's carrying out all the wonderful commands that the scriptures teach us over and over that are, that are otherworldly, looking to the interests of others before our own, living, living with humility, trying to be meek in our in our mindset, trying to love our enemies. I mean, all these things that if you were to live it out, yeah, that's bringing a little bit of heaven down on earth. And then the other side of this is all who we are and what we have in order to bring others up to heaven. That is pointing people to the love of God through Jesus and a relationship with God through Jesus, bringing others to heaven that they might have a relationship with Jesus. So to kind of bring this down to everyday terms, we can think about this. I know statistically speaking, many of you, most of you are engineers. Okay, so let's think about this. Like, what would this mean very practically for an engineer to bring a little bit of heaven down and bring others up to heaven? I came across this kind of fun quote um, from the U.S. Uh, president. Sorry, this won't be on the screen for you guys. But former uh, U.S. president, mining engineer Herbert Hoover uh, said this. Engineering is a great profession. There is the... There's a fascination of watching a figment of the imagination emerge through the aid of science to a plan of paper, code on the screen, I guess. Then it moves to realization in stone and metal or, or energy. Then it brings jobs and homes. 
Then it elevates the standards of living and adds to the comforts of life. That's the engineer's high privilege, Hoover said. Whether or not this is the best of uh, definitions here, it's a good starting point to say, if that's much of what, say, engineering is, it's, it's helpful for the Christ follower to look at that and say, okay, it's for the betterment of those in society and for the creation of jobs and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, okay, if, if that's the aim, which it seems clearly to be, then how, how do I go about that with my chief motivation being to glorify God in that and to serve others in that? Meaning some of the implications, of course, will be for the Christian doing that, but doing that especially for those things. Not say to career advance. I'm not saying don't do that, but the chief aim being those things are not making an extra buck or whatever it might be. Bringing a little bit of heaven down in our workplace. And, and what about bringing heaven up in the engineering sector? Well, I mean, low-hanging fruit there, the engineering sector, like many in the Silicon Valley, is not known for being all that receptive towards Christianity. You know? So it could be a place where we can be little lights to help people taste and see the goodness of God and, and, and show them uh, your faith, that they might see the faith in you and through you. These are the talents that God gives. These are the objections of the talents that God gives us to steward and leverage our, all of who we are and what we have towards these aims, bringing heaven down for others and bringing others up to heaven. And the point Jesus is making clear right off the bat is that you have been entrusted with so much, so much. He gives you per, your personality, your passions, your skills, natural aptitudes, of course, your upbringing and experiences, resources, community, networks. I mean, what are all the ways in which God has gifted you for the sake of loving him, loving others? Um, one area of emphasis in the scriptures is what the, what the scriptures call spiritual gifts. I mean, spiritual gifts are these gifts that God gives his followers to bless others in a, in a way that comes naturally to them. It comes, they're especially effective and efficient at it. There's all sorts of spiritual gifts listed out in the scriptures. Uh, for instance, there's a, there's a spiritual gift of encouragement. I love this one. This is, people with a gift of encouragement are people who just always tend to have the right words at the right time. You have an encourager in your life? If you do, you know who they are. And I think I've said this in the past, but like, man, coming out of the pandemic, we could use encouragers in our lives. Now, we're all called to encourage. Everybody's, as Christians, are all called to encourage. But there's some of you who are especially gifted at just saying the right words at the right time. You don't have to do much effort. Or when you do give it much effort, it's like extra. It just speaks to our hearts. It's like, that's one of the spiritual gifts. We need you. There's a spiritual gift of faith. I love these folks. These folks, it's like, we should all be like, hey, it's going to be okay. But man, these are the folks who are like the strong oak in our life. You know what I mean? It's like everybody's saying it's okay, and then the storm comes, and they're still saying it's going to be okay, and there's a peace about them. Uh, You need that. You need that in the church. You need that in the workplace. It's going to be okay. And by the way, because God's going to take care of it, he's going to take care of you. Uh, there's so many gifts, we can't go through them all. Uh, one of the interesting spiritual gifts is the gift of shepherding. And I don't want you to think that this is only to be played out like in the church context. There's, the gift of shepherding is not just reserved for pastors. Uh, the gift of shepherding can, can be utilized, ought to be utilized out in, out in the, the corporate world and all, all the rest of it. I uh, was having, a gift of shepherding, it seems to me, is coming alongside folks and uh, ministering to them, knowing them for who they are, and helping them along take the next step. I mean, you think about a shepherd taking care of 
sheep, right? They know their name. They, can, they walk alongside them. I was having uh, lunch with someone uh, a couple weeks back, and it occurred to me afterwards. I was like, man, I think they might have a gift of shepherding. Because they were describing how so much in life, say at lunchtime, people would just, and pardon the pun, flock around them. You know, like they'd have like all these folks just kind of naturally just kind of be drawn to them. And this individual is not so extroverted. They're introverted, but just for whatever reason, people flock. And then the other thing on top of it is they were saying that a lot of times people will open up and just kind of share with them on a deeper level really quickly because for whatever reason about his nature, people would just feel safe to share. And so he's telling me how he's learning how to listen better. And he's also looking up for opportunities as a Christian to kind of make the jump for people to see Maybe God's love for them and Jesus saying, hey, I'll pray for you in that. Or maybe you could come to church hear more about that thought or something like that. But that's the idea of like these spiritual gifts can be played out in the work world. What, what might that look like for you? It starts with taking inventory. Uh, if you want to look more into spiritual gifts later, one great place to check is, is Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. It's not an exhaustive list, but you can get some there. Here's a wonderful thing if you've never done it. You can ask a friend, hey, how do you think I've been gifted to help others? love others. The reason why I love that question is I have had friends ask that question of others and been surprised. Oh my goodness. Someone said to them, you're an encourager. I'm like, what? Really? Because here's a real quick sidebar. It seems to me when it comes to like spiritual gifts that so often the way that you're gifted, you just go ahead and assume that everybody else thinks the same way that you do. Like just to play with the encourager idea, if you have the gift of encouragement, it's really easy to go through life thinking everybody's just thinking about how to encourage people and knows the right words at the right times. Not true. <laughs> Not true. It's just that you have a gift of encouragement. Is this making sense? So to think about that, that's just one way, and just we're exploring the space here in terms of the many ways that God has richly blessed you. Spiritual gifts. Another one we have to talk about is he's blessed you materially, financially. I mean, that's a very direct application. When you talk about talent or bags of gold, as our translator put it, Jesus was more specifically talking about finances. And man, with the fear of God in me, it's like in living in the Silicon Valley with the resources available to us, we've got to take this one seriously. God's entrusted us with, with material resources to be stewarded for the sake of bringing God's kingdom down a little bit, bringing others up and just thinking about ways to do that. You could think about ways you might do that. Just to have fun with a little bit of an uh, example here, it reminds me of my, my Uncle Joe. Uh, my uncle uh, went to Stanford for business school and over the course of time made uh, friends with a number of other buddies. There's about five of them. They all happened to be Christians, and they got to know each other. And, and they started to realize, you know what, if we're all going to Stanford Business School, we're probably going to be doing okay in a few years. How can we think about that as Christians? How can we steward this? And they realized through conversation that they all, a common thread, had as, as at a passion area caring for teenagers. They had a heart for teenagers. And so long story short, they decided, okay, Four of the five of them would go into the business world to support one who could go spend full time investing in youth, specifically through the Young Life organization. If you've ever heard of that, it's a wonderful ministry that actually, through my uncle, I ended up getting involved in uh, because of this very story I'm telling you, just reaching out to high school students. So the, the four of them went off and made jobs, and they all said, hey, we're going to support you, and it happened to be my uncle, who, who went in full time to do that ministry. It's like, Financially, how could we? This is a story of current. I mean, even from the earliest of days when we were just a church startup, we just would have to, we went out there and we're like, okay, this is, 
kind of need funds to get up and going. So we talked to churches, and some, some of them said, okay, we'll support you. We had a lot of family and friends say, hey, you're starting a church in the Silicon Valley? Uh, we want to support you guys in that. Church wouldn't be here. Current wouldn't be here if not for folks like that, God putting it on their hearts. If current wouldn't be here for many of you saying, you know what, this is my home church, and I understand that giving financially is first and foremost an act of worship, but it's also to steward the gifts so that we can reach people around us in this community. So spiritual gifts, finances, uh, we've been blessed richly with personal networks. I mean, I just, you just think about all the things that we can leverage and steward for loving God, loving others. Personal networks. This is one for me, I think over time, I've kind of grown in understanding its value. Like more and more, it seems to me, who we are around, who we know can be, is wonderful things, but we can also leverage it for the sake of caring for, for other, other people. Uh, before the pandemic, I know we had some groups, Christian groups, current groups at some of the tech companies. Uh, I love that thought. Maybe they're getting up and going again. I haven't really checked in on that or whatever, but maybe there's opportunity to get some going uh, at the different companies where we bring Christians together, whether they're from current, you guys can kind of pull each other together, or other Christians from other churches. That great, that's great too, in order to say, pray for each other, encourage one another, and spur one another on towards love and good deeds, starting in the, that company and just kind of bringing your minds together and thinking about these things together. Uh, past experiences are a part of the talents that God has given you and me. I had coffee with someone just this last week where part of his story was just different random connections that he had made led to him going into the, the renewable energy sector. And he's just thinking about, man, he just has a passion, feels like a calling to go, to go there and help people there. Uh, how has God blessed you, gifted you with passions, experiences, opportunities? I mean, some of the talents that God richly blesses us with is our opportunities that he lays before us. How can we leverage and steward that? Encouragement, I believe, Jesus is giving us through this parable. It starts with taking inventory. He's blessed you and me richly. Do you know how he has done so? And could you brainstorm what that looks like? I'd encourage you, even this week, if you've never done this before, take some time. I don't know if you're more of a journaler or a walker or I don't know. You could do something, explore space, and just kind of think about it. If you have done this in the past, maybe revisit it because life seasons change. You can go back to it. And again, I mentioned earlier, you can bring a friend into it to hear their outside perspective. So number one, how do we find and fulfill our purpose? We take inventory. Number two, seems to me Jesus is saying we need to get moving. Okay? That's the second one, how do we find and fulfill our purpose? Well, we just get moving. Uh, look at this parable again. The master went on the journey, and the first two servants got to work. Okay, but let's look at the third servant who did not. I think in his example, we're given a sober warning here. Uh, it says in verse 18, the man who had received the one bag of gold went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. Then down in verse 24, you see when the master returned, the servant said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Of course, we know what this third servant's doing, right? He's making excuses. And oh, is it so easy to make excuses in, in order not to leverage who we are and what we have for the sake of loving God and loving others. I mean, here's essentially what this guy was saying, right? He's saying... Look, I wasn't going to really be able to do a whole lot with this one talent. I know I understand it's a lot, but I wasn't really going to do anything. So I just decided I was going to hide this thing and give it back to you when you came back. And it uh, doesn't take long to see, if you look down a little bit further, that 
the master in Jesus' story uh, wasn't too happy about that. It says he, he, he called him out on it and cast him out. Calling him out, basically saying, dude, if that's your approach, you could have at least put that bag of gold on deposit with bankers. Like, you, you're telling me you couldn't have at least done that? And what we see here is a very strong warning from our normally gentle, temperamented Savior and Lord uh, getting quite real, saying, hey, I don't just hope that you might use what I've entrusted to your care. I expect that you do. I expect that you utilize the gifts that God has given you for the sake of loving him and loving others. And you know what? I think all of us intuitively, deep down, understand that thought. Because how many of us, when we find, you know, we're watching the news or reading in our feed or whatever it is, we find that there's like some uber wealthy person just totally hoarding it for themselves. How many of us are not like, oh my goodness, like just kind of turned off by that? The Lord expects us to utilize what he's leveraged, steward what he's given us, richly so, for the sake of loving, loving others. Uh, so that's the warning to get moving, but there's also a wonderful invitation to get moving as well. Look back at verse 16. The servant who had received the five bags of gold, we're told, went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Here's the invitation to get moving. Uh, we're told, Jesus really emphasizes that they got moving at once. Uh, his whole thought here again in this sermon was saying, hey, there's, time is short. You got to live with a sense of urgency. And we're seeing these servants, they were thinking, okay, time is short. I'm going to get moving with what God has entrusted me with. It seems to me real easy to come to the Bay Area with the thought of, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Or... Uh, I might end up being here a long time. I might not. It's kind of a transitional space, but, you know, okay, I'll just do what I can here. And, hey, that's, we're all, we all feel that at some point, but I think there's, there's a warning and invitation to not get stuck in that mindset, to try to maximize and utilize any time in which God has given you and what he's entrusted to your care during that, that time. And, and, in fact, I, I so admire that for many of you, that's actually your story. Many of you decided, you didn't know how long you were going to be here, but you just kind of got to work, linked arms here at the church, out in the corporate world, trying to figure out God's purpose for you there, just made use of the time, and God's blessed that. And some of you guys are sticking around for that. It's just awesome to continue to be in community and link arms to reach this area for Christ alongside you. But I was, I was talking to one of my good buddies uh, lately, and before he moved into the area, he had owned a restaurant business, and then he moved to the Silicon Valley and was just trying to figure out uh, what that kind of past and the passion that he had related to that would, how that would materialize either here or from here outward. And for a long time, he just figured, okay, I, don't, I have this love for food, this love for, for entrepreneurial startup and that sort of thing. But he was just like, but this area is also incredibly expensive. I don't know if I'm going to be here all that long. In fact, he, he said, I, I thought I wasn't going to be here that long because, yeah, it's really hard to stay here, let alone start a business here. And, but he's just like, okay, but you know, years ago, he's like, all right, but we're going we're gonna to check it out. And he's in fact, he said, a lot of the places I was looking for, for were outside of this area because that made more sense. But through that process of getting moving, he discovered through doors shutting and others miraculously, his word opening up here, he's just like, God has me here. And he recently started a business and he's thinking about how that's going to play out in terms of his purpose and his calling. And, and I would just add too, he and his, his wife, his family have had an incredible impact in terms of people coming to know the Lord here at the church and growing in their faith. I'm just so incredibly grateful for the Lord's kind of 
calling and purpose in their lives related to that. But sometimes things change. The point is you got to get moving. One of the things that really strikes me from this text is Jesus doesn't tell us how those first two servants went out and used their talents to gain double. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't say the first servant, they, he went out and he, I don't know, started a sheep business, right? Took the wool and vetted the first t-shirt. I don't know, I'm making this up. It's like he doubled it. Or He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say the second one went out and, you know, got into the dairy I, business. I, he doesn't tell us. He, but he does stress the point that they went out at once. And I think we understand that life often doesn't work out the way we would think it work out. Sometimes doors are closed. So, for some of you, you started out years back with just a hope, dream, and desire. Oh, I think God's purpose for my life is there. It's, it's that. And as you've kind of moved toward that, you found that, oh, maybe it's not quite that. Maybe for some of you, it was kind of, it was a bit of a disappointing thing. It's like, oh, you know what, I, I really thought it was going to be that, but I realized I didn't have the aptitude for that. Maybe for some of you, it's like, I, I thought it was going to be that, but oh my goodness, so many things outside of my control just made that impossible. Whatever the case, the point is we got to get moving. I, I liken it to uh, the illustration of a sailboat. My parents uh, had, a, had a cheap sailboat that we would all get on, go to Catalina Island off uh, Southern California when I was a kid. Love sailing. The whole thing with sailing is if it's not under motor, okay? Motor, motoring a sailboat is kind of cheating, but we'd, anyways. You, the whole idea is with the sailboats, you had to get the sail up, right? I mean, it's kind of straightforward. In order to catch the wind, you had to get the sail up. If you didn't have the sail up, you weren't going anywhere. Now, sometimes the wind wasn't really blowing. Sometimes the wind blows just a little bit, and that's enough, actually, to get your boat, the mast of the boat to going if you have the sail up. Sometimes the wind's really blowing, but the point is you got to have the sail up. But the wind, God moving in his spirit, his calling, his purpose for your life, can shift. It, but as it does, do you have your sail up? Are, are you going to move with it? Or are you just sitting there on the water? I think the whole point here is you got you to get moving, Jesus is saying. And if... If you, if, it, if you changes the course, you end up in a different tact or into a different port later, okay. I have found that for some folks, God changing what they thought would be their dream in the future to over here, and, but they just kept moving and ended up being over here. Sometimes they find, oh my goodness, it ended up being far greater, far more amazing than what I was thinking it would be. The point, though, Jesus is saying, is you got you to get moving. You got you to gotta, you gotta move with it. Um, Again, to think about this, I know this can change different stages of, of life. Some of you I know are in retirement. Some of you are approaching retirement. Uh, I would hate for folks entering into retirement to think, oh, I don't have anything to offer now. Man, if I can call myself as part of a younger generation. I'm feeling old as I say that. Um, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm realizing we need folks in your place speaking into our lives more than ever. Because our generation, younger generations, we have more information than ever before, but we're having less and less wisdom to connect that. We need your wisdom, and you're in a generative place to kind of give back. In some ways, you can kind of lean into that, and boy, we need you to lean into that. And if there aren't folks who are leaning into that, come talk to me. I'll connect you with folks who want to receive, because the point is, we got to get moving, and sometimes life changes, or there's a new life season. How do you just continue to... Get move, get moving, keep keep moving. I would just add this before moving on to the next point. If you're at a uh, standstill, you don't know where to start or what to do. Uh, I would encourage you to at minimum just invest here time, energy in the church. Because if there's anything as a church we're trying to be about collectively, it's bring a little bit of 
heaven down for others and others up to heaven. And the wonderful thing about connecting yourself, serving in the church, other than the fact that God kind of calls us to do that as a body of believers, it helps us discover perhaps ways that we're gifted and opportunities to serve starting here and out from here into the community. So Jesus is saying here, in terms of finding and fulfilling our purpose, one, take inventory, two, get moving, and then three, and we'll do this much more briefly, be faithful. Be faithful. It seems to me that's the real thrust of this parable. Because when the master comes back and the first two servants have doubled their bags of gold, you can just already sense how they're feeling as they approach the master. And, and for that matter, the master's response. Because check it out. Master, the one who had five bags of gold, now ten. You entrusted me with five. See, I've gained five more. And then the very famous words, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, uh, preacher of, of uh, back many years, uh, who said, notice here that Jesus does not say, well done, good and successful servant. You've been successful with a few things. Therefore, I'm going to trust you more. Nor does Jesus say, well done, good and distinguished servant. You have distinguished yourself with a few things. I'm going to trust. He doesn't say, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's worth noting that it is word for word verbatim, the master's response for the second, service as he, second servant as he did for the first. It didn't matter in the... In the the master's eyes so much that, well, he made five more and he made two more. No, he was just excited about the faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but that, that to me takes the pressure off. Look, think of it this way. God doesn't need your success. He doesn't need my success. I mean, to play with the terms of this parable, if he's the guy going on the journey and he's the one giving out the talents... He's got enough of his own. He doesn't need you to go, me to go out there and double them. He doesn't need our success. He's God. He can do things. But the, the goal of this is not just the outcome. The goal of this is the faithfulness. It's the journey. As things shift around, it's like, are you still going to go after it? How are you going to go after it? Are you going to look to him, how he's moving and involve him? And I just think there's so much freedom in this. And what we see is God's economy isn't measured by success. It's measured by faithfulness. You know, it's funny. I kind of love the third servant's response. I don't really love it. I just, I just say this tongue-in-cheek. But the third servant gets kind of snippy with the master, right? He just tries to say, call the master out on something. And it's kind of interesting because he's kind of is making a point, at least in, on, on the surface of it. He says, master, like I went out and hid this thing because I know you're a, man, you're a hard man. You harvest where you haven't planted. You, you gather where you haven't scattered seed. You know, what's interesting about that is I think some ways, even if we don't articulate in our own minds, we can have that kind of response towards God. It's like, hey, I'm doing my part. I'm doing, you've given me this. I'm like, what, where are you at in all of this? You're not here. You know, that, that kind of thought. But what's interesting is Jesus, the one who is telling the story, clearly as the person who's the man going on his journey, getting ready to leave his disciples, they're out on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem where he's getting ready to go to the cross, essentially, be condemned. He is the man who's going away on the journey. But before he went on the journey back to heaven, where he is now, he first went on his journey, we have recorded in the scriptures, 
literally bringing heaven down and literally making it possible for people to go up to heaven by receiving him by faith. In other words, Jesus actually, as the master, has done the only real work that ultimately matters when he died on the cross for our sins. In fact, you know how it says, it describes very in harsh terms that the, the third was cast out into the darkness where he was weeping and gnashing of teeth. If anything, that's just all the more of a picture of what Jesus endured on the cross for anybody who would receive him. He has done the work of bringing heaven down and bringing others up into heaven by what he did on the cross, accomplished his good work. And so therefore, any work that you and I get to be a part of is just continuing on his. Bringing down just a little bit more of his love, kindness, grace in our work. And how we go about work, shining a light to who he is that others might see their need for him, receive him. And what I don't want to have missed here, and maybe even as the band starts coming up, is the whole end goal of all this is joy, right? Joy is, the, is, is really what Jesus is after because he says, look, come and share your master's happiness. I mean, it's just so, that's the goal, that when we, put, when we put ourselves to the plow of the work, we get to share in some of the delight of what God has done and is including us to be about, and that is joy-filled. Now, this work in this life is gonna be frustrating. It's not gonna go always the way that we would see it to be. But the point is, when we get to be a part of it, even here and now, there's joy to be be had. And there'll be joy in the next life as we get to share in that with our our master. So the encouragement I see from this text are, are really threefold. When it comes to finding and fulfilling your purpose, can you take inventory? Can you get moving? What does that look like given where you are in your life, what you have available to you? And how can you be faithful? Can you be faithful? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you created us with such purpose. To give us purpose. You, you give us work not only to experience just kind of, you know, the joy of, of, of our labors and seeing things come into fruition and, and all the rest of that, but also to join you in, in your work of helping people see their need for you and even receive a relationship with you. We get so excited about that, Lord, because from what little we understand, we know that really is to be joy-filled about because that's that's all of eternity. And so, Father, in this area that is so work-centric, if I can call it that, would you help us not just survive, but, but thrive in it and join you in all that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.